teenagers nowadays drink less, have less sex, do less drugs, are less likely to get a part-time job and go out less um, than our generation. Why? Because they're in their bedrooms on their phones. You were hearing our guest on Focus on the Family today, touching on the different world, the digital world our kids are growing up in. Thanks for joining us today. Your host is Focus Africa CEO Graham Schnell and I'm Alison Schnell. Alison, we're in the thick of it in our own home. We have a mm-hmm. 14-year-old and a 13-year-old and we've already seen the pull the device has on this generation. <laughs> and it's hard to know how to manage it, where to put the boundaries, you know. We might wish we could do away with devices altogether. But that's probably unrealistic in the world we and they live in. Yeah, that's right. It is so hard. And we speak to parents all the time who are struggling with the same questions. And it goes deeper too. There are so many dangers that we want to protect our kids from. Absolutely. It's not just a question of screen time. It's what's on the screen and who's on the other side and what's being said. There's a lot to navigate. Yeah, which is why we are so glad to be sharing this program today, which focuses on building a healthy digital culture in your home. Focus on the Family hosted a tour of parenting events around the country with a phenomenal speaker, Christy Herselman, which was called Hashtag Well Connected. Christy's a speaker and author who founded a movement called The Chat, which empowers parents and communities to confidently dialogue around big topics like sexuality, digital health, and social media. She also equips teens and tweens to become healthy, wise digital users. Let's go now to a recording from one of those focus parenting events. You know, these, these times that we've been going through have also exacerbated this um, for, for our children and even for ourselves. And the more I speak into the space and the more I research and, and really think about it and um, think about strategies, the more I realize that it is, yes, about putting the right rules, the right filters, all of those things. And we're going to talk about those tonight. But the goal, the dream, the aim, the vision is a healthy digital culture in your home. A home where the expectations, the boundaries, um, the way we do things becomes part of who we are as a family. Not just something we're the policeman trying to enforce. Um, Danny Silk has this wonderful saying that goes, uh, your character is not revealed only in your ability to follow rules, but in what you do when no one is watching. So what are our children doing when no one is watching? What are we doing when no one is watching? And a healthy digital culture in our home means that no matter who's around and no matter what peer influence is coming or what pops up on a screen, we know who we are and we know um, the values that we want to live by in the digital space. So please keep that in mind as we speak because um, if you think you can outsmart your teen or your child in the digital space, I'm sorry to tell you that you're probably wrong. You know, if we rely just on filters and just on settings um, to think, okay, um, that's my one and done, 
you know, kind of thing that I'm going to do to keep my kids safe. It's, it's just not going to be enough. Um, I was in Pretoria last year giving a talk to a group of, se- of grade sevens. And one of the boys said, one of the boys was, we, we were talking about the fact that, um, you know, everyone struggles with devices and digital distraction and addiction. And he said to me, yes, ma'am, I know my granny had a Facebook addiction. And I think all of you out there probably know one granny with a Facebook addiction. Um, But he said, but I dealt with it. So I said, oh, what did you do? He said, "Um, I was just so tired of my granny not talking to us, not playing with us like she used to, and sitting in the corner scrolling through her phone. When she wasn't looking, I took her phone and I hid her Facebook icon. And so I said, don't you think she'll find it? He says, she'll never find it where I hid it on her phone. And so he hid her icon and she um, had a two-week Facebook fast. And she went on her digital detox. And he says, it was wonderful, ma'am. We got our granny back. Um, she started playing with us and it was so much fun. And, and even, even granny said at the end that she really needed that. And she thanked me once I found her icon and I showed her how to put the restrictions in place and a timer for how much time she can spend every day on Facebook. Um, but just to say that our kids are probably always going to be smarter than us. Um, so it is about rules are good and they are important. Um, but it's about a value system. It's about a, it's about a healthy, um, digital culture at home. And a a healthy culture takes longer than a set of rules, but bears much more fruit in the long term. First of all, it's important that we understand this digital landscape, because often when we think of parenting um, our children, we often feel like they're growing up in another room with the door closed. We don't know who's there. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know um, kind of even what, the, what language they're speaking. Um, but it's really, really important that we get in there and we understand it. Uh, when I'm talking tonight and I say social media, I'm not just talking about TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. Social media is defined as any Apple platform that we use to communicate with another person online. So that includes WhatsApp, it includes iMessage, it includes gaming, um, it includes anything where you are interacting with other people online. Obviously, there are wonderful benefits to social media and the online space, what we can learn, how we can communicate. Um, Obviously, I've just been away. While I was away, my sons had a cricket match, and we have that little cricket app. So I was able to kind of refresh and refresh and refresh and see when one son took a catch or one son was batting. So many, so many wonderful ways we can use devices. I was saying to Graham, my 14-year-old daughter has a phone, and she was just bombarding me with messages just before I came here about extramurals and what's happening here and what's happening there. So sometimes it's, it's not so beneficial, but it's, but it's really lovely to be able to keep in touch and organize things and get things done. Um, but just in terms of understanding the space, often people say to me, Christy, how much screen time? That's like the, the golden ticket question. You know, they want to just come and go, how much screen time, and then go away and do that. But, but as we understand the space, we've we got to remember that it's, that it's a two-part word. You have screen and you have time. So let's quickly look at those two different words. The first word, let's start with the second half first, the time. I just want to show you the average amounts of time that children are spending online per day. Toddlers are spending an average of one to three hours online. 
Children from four to seven are spending about four hours a day online on average. Tweens, so those are our kids from eight to 12, are spending about four and a half hours. And teenagers are spending six and a half to nine hours a day online, especially those who are allowed their phones at school or their iPads at school. You know, my daughter, She's at a school where they have to hand in their phones, but a lot of her friends are at a, a small private school in Durban North, not mentioning any names, where they are allowed their iPads, and she is forever getting Instagram messages from them during the day, because I see them come through on her iPad. And so they are using their Instagram throughout maths, throughout break. Teenagers are on their devices a lot during the day. And then let's look at what pediatricians recommend for us. Under two years old, zero screen time. There is absolutely no benefit for a toddler on a screen. Doesn't matter if it's a cute little game that you drag the red circle onto the red circle and you go, yay, my child is a genius. She's gonna be so clever because I'm, she's gonna, by grade one, she's gonna be like, like a grade five because I'm just gonna, I've got all these educational apps and she's gonna be so smart. Not good for them. Not good for their brains, the lights, the super stimuli, the, the docile time she's sitting on that couch on that iPad. Not good for a toddler at all. Two to five-year-olds, no more than one hour a day, and then 15 to 17-year-olds, no more than two hours a day are recommended by the American Association of Pediatricians. Um, and so obviously we are spending a lot more time than we should, or our children are, but let's be honest, we are too. I don't know about you, but I often, when I see my screen time report come through on a Sunday, my, my heart starts to beat a little bit, and I'm going, please beat last week, please beat last week. Your screen time has decreased, go, yes, or the other way around, and I go, oh my gosh, that was terrible. Um, so most children are spending more time than they should, lots of different reasons, working parents who are not at home to necessarily supervise how much time. Sometimes we live in areas where we don't feel like our children can safely play outside, so we're allowing them on screens. It's affordable entertainment. In a time where going to the movies, you have to sell your kidneys. So it's much easier to let our children watch Netflix. Um, and obviously just as, especially parents of smaller kids, it's a way we get dinner made if we're honest, or just like have a cup of tea or have a conversation with your husband. So there are lots of reasons why we kind of leave our kids in front of screens longer than we should. But then let's look at the other side of the word as we just understand the space, and that's the screen. So what is on the screen is very important as well. Obviously watching um, an educational National Geographic YouTube um, video is much more beneficial than your child scrolling through mindless TikTok dances for hours on end. Talking to friends and family um, on FaceTime is obviously much, much better than, you know, just snapping. I actually would love to do like a thesis or a master's on Snapchat. It's like this whole subculture. Um, my daughter's just got Snapchat, so I'm absolutely fascinated by what they do. It's like they, there's all these different, like if someone sends you just their ear, it's like they don't really like you, but if they send you a full face, then it's like, you, you, you like you, that person, you like tight with them. Sometimes they send each other the, the ceiling or the floor, or sometimes it's just like a random dark thing with an with a S for a streak, because streaks are another, another conversation altogether, but that is not of any benefit, other than they connecting with their friends, which um, obviously has some benefits. Remember that also on the screen is a world that is a very public space. 
Um, you know, very few of us would take our children to Point Road and leave them on the corner um, for them to just have a look at what's going down in town um, and then leave. Or we wouldn't let a whole bunch of strangers walk into our house and sit in the bedroom with our child. Um, but the reality is there are good people and bad people online. There are friends, there are enemies, there are people who mean your child no harm and people who mean to harm your child in very specific ways. Um, and if we are allowing them into those spaces without any supervision, we are allowing them into a public place on their own and, and expecting them to know, um, how, first of all, how to figure out um, whether these people are friendly or not, but then also deal with the situations, the content, what they're going to see, what they're going to hear in those spaces. And then also they are, are drawn into a space that is not a neutral space. It's a very carefully created space by people who spend a lot of time uh, trying to addict and trying to... Um, have us spend as much time as possible on those devices. So if any of you watched The Social Dilemma, you will understand algorithms. But basically, algorithms are there to, to tell us how clever we are by feeding us more of what we like and more of what we think, and then also shocking us a just enough to keep us um, in the space and keep us interested, but not enough to make us switch off our device. There are also a lot of people out there who, who are there specifically to influence and shift culture in different ways in terms of things like gender, um, sexuality, um, those kinds of things. It's a highly political space, a highly sexualized space. And it's also... Uh, like I said, a highly addictive space for all of us. 75% of adults can reach their phone 24-7 without moving their bodies. That means you can do this and you can pick up your phone. That means when you're on the loo, <laughs> when you're in bed, when you're making dinner, when you're eating dinner, when you're on a date, uh, when you're changing your baby's nappy, you have that precious iPhone next to you. Okay, if that doesn't tell us that we might be just a little bit addicted, um, I don't know what does, because um, we do sometimes get a little antsy and a little panicked when we can't find our phone, and it, we haven't seen it for the last three minutes. Okay, so how does this impact our children? Obviously, it impacts us as adults, but tonight we're here to talk about how it influences our children. Most children in South Africa will get their first phone between the ages of about um, 11 and 12. By 13, the majority of children in our country have a phone, and most of them have got a device much earlier. And this time in their lives, from about 11 to 14, is one of the most important developmental times in a child's life. Their brain is growing faster than ever before, other than when they were a newborn baby but the brain is growing at different rates. So at the back here, we have what we call our amygdala, responsible for passion, emotion, big feelings, drama and excitement and all of those things. That is growing very fast. Ring any bells? It's got any tweens or teens? I know my, everything is big, especially my daughter. It's like very sad or very happy or very angry. Nothing is kind of like a little bit irritated. And then you have your prefrontal cortex, which sits here, and this is your higher order thinking part of your brain. This is where your logic lives. This is where your common sense lives. This is where your, hmm, I wonder if it's a good idea to jump off that roof into this pool lives. Okay, that is growing really, really slowly and is only fully developed when your child turns around 24, 25 years old. Okay, so this part, screaming. This part, whispering. Okay.
That is how they, most of their thinking comes from emotion, impulse, aggression, instinctive behavior. Um, and then another thing that's happening is a chemical called um, oxytocin will be um, releasing their bodies and coursing through their bodies in large amounts. If any of you have ever been to the chat talk with me, you might remember this hormone is the hormone that's released primarily in the bodies of women during sex. It's a bonding chemical. It's a, a, also a, a chemical that bonds us not only to our spouses or our partner um, when we have sex, but it's also a chemical that bonds us in friendship, in family, um, in any of our close relationships. So there's a lot of this chemical um, coursing through your child's body, and relationships and friendships are very, very important to them. It's important that they belong. It's important that they have a group of friends, that, or that they have one or two good friends, and a sense of belonging is really, really important. Added to this, they're starting to make decisions about who they are and what they believe. The foundational building blocks of their character are in place by about the age age of 14. Very important um, to know. And then the other thing that's happening is that from about the age of 9 or 10, they start to be able to think abstractly, which means that before that, they can't really kind of put themselves outside their bodies and go, I wonder what people think of me. That's why little kids will sing and you know, they don't really care what other people think. But from this age, kids really start to care what other people think. They think, am I cool enough? Am, girls, am I skinny enough? Am I pretty enough? Um, am I fast enough? Um, am I good enough? They're basically asking themselves a lot of the time. Um, chemicals like dopamine play a huge role in the wiring of their brains. Um, which part of their brains will grow over and which ones will become concrete highways that's happening right now. So a very important, very pivotal age for children and often the age that they will get their first phone or when they will start to be given um, access to different kinds of social media. So what are some of the impacts? Um, I'm gonna divide it into just three different areas, the psychological, emotional impact, and then the social impact, the interaction with other people, and then the physical impact. Um, I'll just end off very, very briefly about the impact on their actual physical bodies. So first of all, we're gonna talk about the emotional and physical impact. Um, and I wanna just start with the impact on their mental health. Um, so teenagers nowadays drink less, have less sex, do less drugs, are less likely to get a part-time job, and go out less um, than our generation. Why? Because they're in their bedrooms on their phones. Connected to their communities and in this illusion of connection, in this illusion of community, but often feeling incredibly lonely and incredibly isolated. Um, from 2010 to 2015, which kind of was kind of the first five years of the iPhone, um, the number of teens with anxiety and depression rose by, by 33%, and the number of teen suicides rose by 23%. And a, and a more recent, recent statistic um, that was released last year, teenagers with symptoms of moderate to severe depression nearly doubled from 13% to 25% among that 14 to 17-year-old um, age bracket. Obviously, the, the world is an anxiety-inducing place right now, especially for our teenagers and our young people. They are under huge academic pressure. They are under huge sporting pressure. They are, um, they are through their iPhones, they have access to wars in the Ukraine and looting down the streets and Donald Trump and whatever he's doing. And, and, um, and so 
and never mind the actual just little social circles that they belong to. You know, there's this thing called ambient anxiety. You know, you know before iPhones, if um, there was a shooting at the pavilion, um, I'm not saying it's, it's right, but if there was one, you would hear about it when you read the newspaper the next day. But now, if there's a shooting at the pavilion, it will be on your neighborhood group within two or three minutes. And you will be going, oh my gosh, who that I know might be at the pavilion. And your children will be going, did my granny go to the pavilion today? You know, there's this, there's this anxiety that is being caused by our hyper-connection um, to the digital world. And then there's this vicious cycle specifically for teenagers that those who do feel anxious and depressed will often go to social media to manage that and to try and make themselves feel better. And it'll often make them actually feel worse and it'll exacerbate um, their, their anxiety and depression. Because those teenagers who will be worst affected, I keep saying teenagers, but I'm talking about anybody who has access to social media, those who are worse affected are those who already have mental health problems or emotional health problems. Those who already feel anxious, depressed, um, isolated, uh, will feel worse. And social media has, is directly linked to increased tendencies of self-harm, eating disorders, and other forms of mental health issues. Often teens who are prone to these things will seek out other teenagers online who will then affirm their, their behavior and it becomes kind of a stronger and stronger tendency within them because they, are, they have other teenagers to endorse their behavior. Francis Jensen, who from the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine, says that social media is the gasoline that turns the flicker of adolescent angst into a blaze. So something that is already there. You know, what 14-year-old or 13-year-old actually feels comfortable in their own skin? Not many. It's a weird age. You already feel weird. You already feel like, do people like me? All of these things. And now you have social media, which, which can add so much fuel to that fire. And it must be noted that the online space can be a place of lovely connection, of connection. You know, I, I read a, a quote the other day that said, teenagers are not addicted to their phones, they're addicted to each other. And it's true, we were addicted to our friends when we were that age. All we wanted to be, do was be with our friends. And now they have this, this access. But there are a lot of reasons why this, this access has not been great for them. We're staying on emotional and psychological for a few more minutes. Um, and the one, the one reason it's causing so much anxiety for our children is that it's very often the online space is a real-time popularity contest. You think of the most simple game that your child will play. It's about winning. It's about where you get up on that leaderboard, whether it's Fortnite or, or it's like what skins you've got, what um, level you've got to. I mean, I'm a little bit of a, um, I've forgotten the name of the game. Anyway, you guys will know it. Candy Crush. <laughs> But it's, I mean, all those bright colors, and I, I was fascinated by also the way games, so I have it on silent, but it still vibrates in my hands every time something exciting happens. And I was like, these guys are so clever, because even when that little thing vibrates, it's probably sending dopamine into my brain. Anyway, so it's a real-time popularity contest. There's a huge amount of comparison in the online space. Um, it, it kind of magnifies our successes and draws attention to our flaws. So when something amazing happens, we have all these people liking it um, and endorsing how wonderfully we did and how great this is. But then when we are not invited to a birthday party or we don't make that first team or you know our friends did something without us, 
the fact that it's on social media and, and there's evidence that there's all Christie's best friends without Christie, it's like, well, why did they not invite me? Don't they like me? Am I not part of the group? I mean, even now, if I see a dinner that's a whole bunch of my good mates and I wasn't invited, I'm like, what's this? What happened here? You know, and I'm 48, so <laughs> I don't know what happens when you're 12. It tells our kids that having lots of friends and expensive stuff is, is what is important. And they need more and they need to be in more places. And when in reality, one or two friends to hang out with is great. But our social media often tells us that's not the case. Instagram and TikTok are ranked the worst for mental health, especially with girls, because they are so visual and, and there's so much comparison in them. Um, I find it so fascinating to look at my daughter's Instagram when someone posts something, how the girls will often comment multiple times on their friends' posts. And I actually asked my daughter about it once. I said, why is she going, I love you, you're so gorgeous, you're my fave. Why does she just not make one comment? She goes, no, mom, because the number of comments then goes up by three, not by one. And so that's what we do for each other. It's like, okay. And if, and if your friends don't comment, you direct message them and you say, why have you not commented on my post yet? Or why have you not liked it? Um, because these numbers are important to them, even though we are training and teaching them that they're not. And then there's the constant connection. There's this idea that they are constantly connected to the world. This is so good and such relevant content. As parents, we need the information. We need to have a greater understanding of what's going on in our teenagers' brains. But I love that although we've got to have the rules and filters and all of those things in place, our goal is really to create that healthy digital culture in our home. I hope you'll join us again tomorrow as we share the second part of this program. If you missed part of today, you can listen again on our website, via podcast, or on our Focus Africa app. And I really want to encourage you to get a copy of Christie's book, Hashtag Well Connected, How to Be Safe, Wise, and Kind Online. This is a book for young digital users exploring the online space for the first time. Mostly, it is a tool to catalyze open conversation and build deep connection. You can get your copy when you call us on 031-716-3300 or when you visit our website at safamily.co.za. We're going to hear more from Christy Herselman on tomorrow's program, so I hope that you'll join us for that. I'm Alison Schnell for Focus on the Family Africa, inviting you back then when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.